Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, 19th of January, and apologies, no strategy podcast yesterday. I came back with too many ideas this week, and it absolutely swamped me. The first good idea was this article I wrote yesterday. You can find it in the newsletter yesterday, but I'll put it up as a separate article anyway, about retirement. And the article was called, this is in yesterday's newsletter, and the article was called, How Much Do I Need to Retire? And there's an article in there which includes a description of something I once saw on, can you believe it, Oprah. Not that I watch that American crap, of course. But Oprah was talking to, or the story, I don't think I saw the program, but the story goes, that Oprah was talking to a group of desperate housewives who had broken generations of suburban tradition and decided, quite out of character, to talk to each other about money. One of them was in financial trouble and they all rallied around her. And in order to talk money, they entered a pact of trust and confidentiality. And it all began from there. The process apparently was quite simple. What you did was you got together probably have a glass of wine, and tell everybody in the group, which was a select membership of friends, people they thought they could trust. You tell the group how much you own, how much you owe, how much you spend, how much you earn. Nothing more sophisticated than that, than your family's balance sheet and P&L. And the discussion starts from there, apparently. How, mu- how come you're earning more is uh, the first question. How come you are worth more? How come you spend less? How come I'm the biggest loser? That's always the risk with this. If I got all my brothers, brother-in-laws together to dis- which I can't say I trust them all, the Jim Bean swilling Barbie gossips that my brother-in-laws are. But if I got them all together, the most obvious question is who is the biggest loser and that's why it probably wouldn't happen with me and my brother-in-laws but if you survive that suburban roulette stage working out who the biggest loser is there is tremendous value to be had in discussing finances with other people because you get some objectivity about it and you can read the article about how the ladies that Oprah spoke to all got lifted and this is the theory you all lift to the highest level of knowledge and understanding about finance rather than you get dragged down. Everybody improves to the highest level. So if you're the smartest financial person there, you don't learn anything at all, but the likelihood is you only know some stuff and other people know things anyway. Everybody got lifted to a higher level of financial knowledge and empowerment, and they all started to make changes of habits and attitudes and plan and look to earn more, spend less, be assertive, and above all, take control of their finances, which in the case of a lot of these ladies was about taking control from their husbands who were useless or thought they were good but were useless. And collectively, this group of ladies all benefited from discussing finances. So along those lines, I asked yesterday in this retirement article, which I will put out again as a separate article, but I asked yesterday about something that came up at the golf club, which was a conversation which started with, how much money do you need to retire? Which is usually asked by someone who hasn't retired to someone who has retired and looks particularly comfortable. 
how much money do you need to retire? And it all goes from there. There are obviously a lot of opinions and there are a lot of variables and a lot of experiences. And I asked you, and you can, the link is still in the newsletter today, I asked you, what is your financial formula for retirement? We've obviously got a lot of retirees on the database. And in an Oprah fashion, I think a lot of you would find it very interesting to get some objectivity and opinions from experienced retirees or those who have worked out how to retire on what the financial formula is. So hit the link if you haven't already. I've had a whole host of responses already. Some of them are really interesting and I'll write them. I'll try and if I've got the time, I will try and write them all up at the weekend or for the weekend email, summarize them anyway. No names, no pack drill, of course. But let me tell you, and I've included this in the newsletter today, some of the early responses suggest, or all the responses suggest, that there is an obvious formula for retirement, which revolves around a few things, but decide how much, uh, there are a few elements to it, which you might think about. Decide how much you need to live off per annum. And most people have quoted sort of sixty-five dollars to $100,000. Some people up to double that. I'm sure there are some people with expectations that they will spend more than that even, but 65 to 100,000 seems to be the norm. Then you have to make an assumption about what you can earn on capital. This is an obvious formula. So if you're going to earn, say, 5 to 7%, do you use a real return or a, just a straight return, whatever? Most people have assumed a 5 to 7% return on capital, in which case, depending on what, how much you want to live off per annum, the calculation is obvious. The amount of capital you need is simply a function of what level of capital will return you your expected annual income of 65 to 100,000. So using 5 to 7% and 65 to $100,000 a year, you can see generally the numbers are coming out that you need 1.5 million to 3 million plus to live a comfortable retirement. And the government's definition of a comfortable retirement is, for most of you, would be abject poverty. And then there are all sorts of other uh, assumptions. People are assuming that they'll spend less as they get older. They'll travel more when they're younger in particular. Most people generally expect to live off the income from the capital, not sell the house, unless they go into a retirement home. And if there's anything left over, the house, the capital, at the end, it all goes to the kids. Now, to give you an idea of how this is interesting, because all that's fairly routine, how this is interesting, one of the observations is why would you factor in handing your kids anything, especially if you're going to live to, say, 90? By that stage, your kids will probably have retired themselves. <laughs> they will be adults. They won't be vulnerable dependents or the vulnerable dependents you think they are at the moment. They are going to get older. So, of course, you think, well, why, why don't I uh, hand it on to the grandchildren? Well, the grandchildren will be 30 by then. Why would you compromise your standard of living in order for your kids to be richer or their grandkids to be spoiled? <laughs> you might as well spend it yourself. So that was one opinion. Of course, obviously, some kids are more needy than others. Another 
idea, which came from a couple of people, was what you do with your retirement money or your retirement capital is just put the whole lot in one person suggested the CBA. Others suggested in all the banks, you get a 5% plus yield, you get 100% franking, and you never know, you might actually make some money as well, because these are highly profitable companies, even if their performance has been a bit shabby of late. Just put it all in the banks. Hmm, I think I could name a few ETFs as well you could put it in. And there are a load of other observations. Anyway, enough of that. I will put it all together for... Hopefully, if I have time for the weekend email, you can read it there. In the meantime, click on the links in the newsletter. Continue to send me your retirement formula, formulas, and I'm sure all members will benefit, including yourselves. Give and you will receive, including yourselves. You'll get a bit of objectivity about how other people plan the financial side of retirement. Right. Other things. Quick one. I put a link in yesterday. I've always thought I should put this back. We used to have a link which allowed members to ask what I called stupid questions on the understanding there are no stupid questions in finance. But I put in a link yesterday saying, ask Marcus, send me a question. I have been inundated with questions. I shouldn't have put it in, I don't think, because there are too many for me to answer. I'll try and answer them all individually and progressively. I'm afraid some of them as I warned, some of them, and please don't do this, include a long statement about some intellectual point that you have and then says, discuss. No, I'm not going to do that. But pointed, particularly educational questions are the most interesting to other people. So I will get around to all those. Right. Otherwise, today, as you've probably seen, the market at one point was down 73. It's down 32 at the moment. So we're doing a little bit better. BHP Rio up the iron ore price up two and a half percent or so. It seems the resources sector is the place to be whilst the market worries about higher interest rates and overpriced technology stocks. But that is what is worrying about at the moment. You will have seen Wall Street was down 543. At one point, the Dow was down 600. 150. The futures were down 66. The Nasdaq down 2.6% overnight. It's now down 10% from the November high. There are actually 220 stocks with a market cap of 10 billion or more that are down 20% or more in the US. So some significant falls, most of the bigger falls in tech stocks. And what also happened overnight was Goldman Sachs fell 7% on results. The poor things, their revenues up, but their wage pressures mean their profit is down 13%. Those Wall Street bankers, poor things, are probably not paid enough. So they've obviously upped their wages significantly. But I think the other thing that's more important that's running through the Goldman results is that they also say the slowing pace of effectively printed money or government bond purchases has also impacted their results, which just confirms that they have made a fortune out of money printing. And I've put the chart in the spy section today. Goldman Sachs price has doubled since the pandemic and now looks to be coming off the top. And if you were to consider that the biggest driver has been buoyant financial markets built on the back of printed money. As printed money slows, clearly Goldman Sachs are telling us the reality is that they really don't make as much money, in which case as print printing or money printing slows, we may have seen the peak for the investment banks for the moment in the US and also therefore uh, the financial markets. The suggestion is financial markets are not going to be so easy. Anyway, it sets up the US market to be 
having a tougher year in 2022 than it did in the deluge of free money that was flying around the investment banks, the financial markets last year. The other theme, which is a bit ominous as well, is the pop in 10-year bond yields in the last two days. We're talking about or fearful of a 25 basis point rise in US official interest rates in March. The meeting is on March the 16th. There's a January meeting, by the way, before that, January 26th but there is in the bond market almost no chance of a rate move. But we're worrying about a 25 basis point rise in interest rates on March the 16th. But in the last two days, we've seen 20 basis points added to the bond yield. And in the last month, they've gone from, can you believe this, 1.3, the 10-year bond yield in the US from 1.35% to 1.88%. In other words, they're up more than 50 basis points in a month anyway. So forget the official rates. The bond market is talking. Rates are on the rise. And you do rather worry or wonder whether this is the financial, the bond market getting into its stride for 2022 and whether this is going to be the abiding or overriding theme for the year that interest rates are going higher, in which case the financial markets are going to be swimming against the tide. It's not precipitous stuff, but you sort of think as a portfolio manager, well, maybe I should be running up a bit more cash, or maybe I should be taking a profit in that hot stock, or that high PE stock, or that stock that has made me a fortune in a short period of time without a lot of science. We seem to be getting to that stage. I worry as well about we have a large holding in Macquarie, whether Goldman Sachs isn't ringing the bell at the top for investment banks globally, in which case maybe we should worry about Macquarie, which we hold a lot of. Haven't done anything about it yet. Let's see. It's only one day's worth of, well, it's two days worth of bonds popping and bond yields popping and one bad result from Goldman Sachs. We'll see what the wash up is. It's not enough to make me flinch in the portfolios yet, but I'm certainly looking over my shoulder, wondering if the market's going to behave this year. I've also noted in the spy section, the fear and greed Greed Index. CNN puts out a fear and greed index. Coming from a news outlet like CNN, you'd think that sort of thing would just be clickbait rubbish. But I've provided a link to that index. It's actually quite a good index based on some credible science. Have a look. But the fear and greed index is currently at 50, 0 to 100. It's currently at 50, down from 57 yesterday. So that's quite a big move. Going the wrong way, heading towards fear. Right, a few other things in the spy section, Microsoft buying the company that makes Call of Duty. Interesting share price, Activision Blizzard, which makes Call of Duty. They've been bid for by Microsoft. A couple of observations there. Don't the big get bigger? These tech giants in the US are so large, they can simply dominate any industry they want to by acquisition. Here they are. Here's Microsoft piling into the gaming industry, part of the metaverse development apparently. Must work work out what that is sometime soon. But interesting also to note that the Call of Duty maker, ever since the vaccines came out at the end of 2021, has been underperforming terribly. Another pandemic beneficiary that folded up. We've got a few of those ourselves. Kogan, Redbubble, you've probably seen that collapsing. Self Wealth, which is the equivalent of Robin Hood in Australia. Robin Hood trading, all those young people that were getting job keeper and job seeker who hit the stock market. Well, COVID's here and the stimulus has stopped and so has the share price of Robin Hood. 
perfect bit of timing listing that in the US and so is the self-wealth share price in Australia as well. Sliding nastily away, a fad it was, it wasn't a forever development, it was a moment of gambling by younger people by the looks of it. Anyway, I've on the portfolios, I've updated all the portfolios on the portfolios tab. You can see how we increased the BHP and mineral resources shareholdings on the on those pages. BHP had okay production numbers today. Production numbers don't really move the price unless uh, there's something shocking, but rarely is there a production shock. There might be a revenue shock if a sh- if a commodity price moves a lot, which it does. Commodity prices move daily, but rarely a production shock. If you consider the operations of BHP with three-kilometre-long trains run by a remote operator with no humans on board, it's just a machine that rarely, unless a train falls off tracks, which it did once, it rarely surprises. So, okay, production numbers today from BHP. Megaport down on results today, despite what looked like quite a good set of results and brokers with target prices well above the current share price. The thing's down 13% at one point today. They talked about robust sales growth. Something's obviously gone wrong. Haven't got my head around it. We'll have a read of any research that comes out in the next 24 hours or so and try and work out what we should do with it. We have a holding in the forever portfolio. JB Hi-Fi had preliminary results yesterday. I've put the broker research in. It's generally positive. Average target price 10.5% above the current share price. Got a decent yield. I've put the stock box in 6.7% yield. 100% franked. Most people have got a buy or a hold recommendation. Return on equity 33%. PE not expensive 13.8 times. Looks okay. We hold it in both income and forever portfolio. Right. Otherwise, I have introduced the Apple test today, something I was discussing with the team yesterday. You've heard of the acid test. Well, this is the Apple test. The Apple test is this. Before you buy any stock, ask yourself a question. Would I prefer to own this company or Apple? (laughs) When you ask that about a lot of the stocks you hold, you might be surprised how many stocks you won't buy on the Apple test. Anyway, that came from a discussion about quality stocks and the two ETFs. Henry's written about them before. Two quality stock ETFs in Australia, Qual and Qual, uh, anyway, Q-U-A-L and Q-L-T-Y, which are two exchange-traded funds. Management expense ratios or cost of running them, 0.4% and 0.35%. I've written them up and provided links. The astonishing thing, mostly of the Qual, Q-U-A-L, ETF, which identifies companies based on high quality scores, which is three fundamental factors, high return on equity, stable year-on-year earnings growth, and low financial leverage. All the stocks are outside Australia, and the benchmark's MSCI World X Australia Quality Index. Anyway, a portfolio of 300 companies in the rest of the world based on quality. And if you look at the performance of that relative to the ASX 200, there has been just constant outperformance. It's been listed since 2014, only yields a couple of percent. Market cap 2.8 billion anyway. Might be a good ETF for some of you youngsters and oldsters, anyone not interested in income, but interested in a low cost, low volatility 
low risk, low activity, low maintenance investment without having to really do anything. Q-U-A-L may suit, and I've also put in some details about Q-L-T-Y, which is the Better Shares Quality Leaders ETF, as opposed to the VanEck, and it's fairly similar, although the Qual performance appears to have been better, and I put a list of the stocks they hold. Anyway, uh, other observations. Telstra running nicely into results on February the 11th, and I've done a little summary of Tom's recent buy-hold sell on Telstra. 5.4% yield, has some growth strategies, making good progress on its T22 strategy and its T25 strategy is now the focus. Anyway, all looks quite good. And the performance, the relative performance has been terrible over the last five, eight years. Just looks like it's turning the corner a little bit. We'll see what the results do. Right, that's about that. In the spy section, you can click at the bottom and tell me how do you retire? Share your thoughts on how to budget for retirement. Send me your retirement formula and help everyone else get a little bit of objectivity and you might get a little bit as well. Right, that's about that. As I leave you, Dow futures up 30. Our market doing rather well considering it was down 73, only down 26 at the moment. Both BHP and Rio are up and that's the story of the day. Harvey Norman up another 4%. It was up yesterday as well after the JB Hi-Fi results. So that's running into results. Absolutely kicking myself still for not buying that Playtex stock, PLY. It's now doubled since I first mentioned it and put it on the watch list, up 8% today. Right, that's about it. Plenty to get your head around today. You have a fabulous day. I will speak to you tomorrow. (laughs) 